Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We are so glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis to serve up to you. And so let's uh, dive right in. And Jim, we're less than a week into the 2020 Summer Olympics. It still weirds me out that they're calling them the 2020 Summer Olympics when it's not 2020 anymore. But, you know, the branding was done a long time ago, so I get it. But anyway, the Olympics are underway. And one of the frustrating parts is how political our own team has become in some ways. We've got a big debate over Simone Biles uh, deciding not to compete in the team competition. There was, of course, some people happy to see the women's soccer team lose their first game because of their politics and approach to the anthem and so forth. And so uh, I hate to see the Olympics become divisive in this way, but we've got a good news Olympic story. It doesn't actually uh, impact Team USA, but uh, on the world stage, I, th- I think it's pretty significant and hopefully it gets even more attention. Uh, this has been reported by a couple different places. This is Emily Zanotti over at DailyWire.com. An Iranian defector who won an Olympic silver medal in judo bucked the trend on Tuesday, dedicating his medal to Israel and thanking that country in Hebrew for his second-place finish in the men's 81-kilogram judo final. Saeed Molae dedicated his first-ever Olympic medal to Israel and thanked the country for the support they have given him after a nail-biting final, the Daily Mail reported Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the judo champion, who trained in Israel with their national judo team in the months before the Tokyo Olympics, thanked the country in Hebrew as he dedicated his first-ever Olympic medal to Israel. Quote, in English, obviously, Thank you to Israel for the good energy, Molae reportedly told the Israeli Sports Channel after losing the final match to a Japanese athlete. Quote, this medal is dedicated also to Israel. Molae now competes for Mongolia after defecting to Germany during the 2019 Judo World Championships. He left the Iranian team despite being one of the team's up-and-coming stars after Iran's minister demanded that he withdraw from a judo match rather than spar with an Israeli athlete, something that at least two competitors have done this Olympics alone. And so, Jim, we've uh, seen before how Politics has uh, impacted the Olympics, not usually in one's own country like we're seeing right now, but on the world stage, whether it's Munich 72 or various uh, Olympics during the Cold War and so forth. So to see this gesture from an Iranian who is now living somewhere else towards the Israelis, uh, I think it's a significant moment on the athletic stage. Greg, there are several shocking aspects of this story. The first being that there are athletes competing in this Olympics not named Simone Biles. <laughs> just handed to me. Kind of shocking. A whole bunch of them, lots of other countries. And this, apparently NBC News was never informed of this. There are actually athletes besides Americans uh, competing in the Olympics. And sometimes they're interesting stories. I'm not saying we need the, you know, 40-minute sob story documentary that NBC seems to give for every single athlete. But nonetheless... Sometimes you can get some fascinating stories about this. Secondly, you heard about this every now and then, about one team refusing to play uh, an Israeli team in international tournaments of athletics. I hadn't realized that, like, you know, the the Iranian ministers have said, you will not compete for a medal rather than compete against an Israeli. You know, by the way, like, you'd figure if an Iranian athlete beat an Israeli athlete in any competition— that would be the biggest deal in the whole wide world or the, the biggest deal in Tehran. Like that'd be, you know, they'd, they'd be celebrating that for ages because, you know, let's face it, folks, people don't win a lot. You know, like it's not like people win a lot of wars against the Israelis. So you got to celebrate your victories against the Israelis where you can find them. 
But Iran, no, no, I think they deep down they realized losing to an Israeli athlete would be uh, terribly humiliating. Although, no, we in, in the end, we all know they'd probably just blame it on a Mossad plot or something like that. Um, and then finally, the other aspect about this story that just kind of jumps out and seems kind of interesting. Um, as you mentioned, I'm going to call him the, the, you know, the judo guy because that's uh, otherwise it's very difficult to spell uh, or pronounce. <laughs> He competed for Mongolia after defecting to Germany, but even though he started with the Iranians. Greg, is free agency ruining the Olympics? <laughs> okay, it's not really free agency, but you do. Like, obviously, there are folks who can't make the team of their their born country. So if they have dual citizenship, they're often they'll figure out, okay, I might have a shot of making that team's uh, that country's team. So let me see if I can do that. And it is not quite, you know, totally free agency, but you do see certain athletes sort of shopping around and looking to see what their options are. And very often, if you're a country that doesn't have any particularly good competitors uh, you know, on, the, on the world stage or something, they're happy to take them. So at some point, you know, it's just a matter of time before the International Olympic Committee, having realized that they, they, they need broad new avenues to appeal to new uh, new appeal to new fans and develop new markets for corruption. Um, in fact, my understanding is that this year has been really kind of because of the pandemic, uh, because of all the other changes, they just haven't been able to be as corrupt as they usually are. Uh, so this is just declare, causing all kinds of uh, things. So this is a st- strong, promising opportunity. Just let every athlete all around the world sign for free agency. Obviously, the big country, you know, we, we would be effectively the New York Yankees. We would be able, oh, you know what? The Russians or the Romanians have a bunch of good gymnasts. Let's go out. We're just going to go out and sign them. Let them immigrate. Actually, everybody wants to immigrate to America anyway. But, you know, again, this would be kind of a great way of just draining all the good athletes uh, uh, from uh, – uh, from all the other countries that are oppressive and authoritarian and, and you know, all of that. Um, the uh, I, I am reminded of a line from a novel where some Russian was boasting about all the great things Russia had done and talking about uh, Tolstoy and, and Tesla. And he goes on about Barishnikov and so the American observes, no, you guys had Barishnikov. We have Barishnikov now, so. We can always the Western world can always say, yeah, you might raise really good athletes, but they want to play for us. Yes. Now, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you'd have to sign most of these people to four year contracts, I'm guessing, uh, to get through the next Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> signing them in the off years really doesn't do you much good. But, uh... <laughs> or through the next Olympics, because, you know, you could have signed them through 2020. And then all of a sudden this year, you're like, yeah, oh, uh, mad scramble for these people. But, you know, uh, Iran's uh, performance at the Olympics hasn't been good. In fact, Iran. You know, they've been they've been on a pretty rough stretch ever since the Battle of Salamis against the Greeks uh, back in uh, <laughs> back in the, B, the B.C.s. They were known as the Persians then. So Iran proper really has not had a good Olympics or athletic performance in a very long time. You know, it's just uh, interesting to watch these uh, these nice political moments play out on, on the world stage because uh, the Olympics has been a great format for that. I mean, the miracle on ice would have been great anyway because it was a huge upset. But the fact that it was in the middle of the Cold War made it uh, even more huge. Jesse Owens, Berlin, same thing. But uh, anyway, uh, great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Speaking of great stuff, uh, when it comes to comfort, uh, my pillow is where you want to be, whether it's the pillow itself, the uh, the Giza dream sheets, the slippers. But they also have the luxurious towels that are waiting for you when you step out of the shower. I tell you every day, these things are big, they're soft, they're fluffy, and it's amazing how quickly I get dry with these towels. And right now, you can get them at a massive discount. Each set is two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. They are made from a proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, 
and soft to the touch without the, that lotion-y feel. They're made from cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. And they're machine washable uh, with a 60-day money-back guarantee and uh, one-year limited warranty. Usually, the six-piece towel set costs you $109.99. Today, $39.99. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. The MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $39.99. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts also on other MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. Again, MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini. And mask whiplash, or CDC whiplash, is back again. Because it was just a couple of months ago where the vaccinated could stop wearing the masks indoors. Biden was out there saying, hey, it's real simple now, man. Get vaxxed or wear the mask. Well, the CDC yesterday once again uh, recommending even vaccinated people wearing masks, especially in indoor places, especially in areas where the numbers are creeping up, uh, most likely due to the Delta variant. And so a lot of places are reverting. Uh, The federal government is now about to have a a vaccine mandate or at least such regular testing that they're going to highly incentivize uh, the vaccine. Uh, The Washington Post yesterday made the vaccine a condition of employment, uh, which is a pretty strong move. And then, of course, there's going to be masking all over the federal government, including at the White House. Uh, Interesting exchange yesterday in the White House briefing room between Peter Ducey of Fox News and Jen Psaki with Ducey saying, hey, the data you just gave us said the vaccines work. So why do those people have to wear masks? Here's the exchange. Why do vaccinated people need to put the masks back on? Well, Peter, first of all, I would say again, just to go back to this chart, which I will handily point to again. If you were vaccinated, if you were vaccinated, your life, it can save your life. And I think the clear data shows um, that this pandemic is killing, is hospitalizing, is making people very sick who are not vaccinated. That still continues to be the case, uh, regardless of what the mask guidance looks like. The vaccines work, which this sign says that they do. Then why do people who have had the vaccine need to now wear masks, the same as people who have not had it? Because the public health uh, leaders in our administration have made the determination based on data that that is a way to make sure they're protected, their loved ones are protected, uh, and that's an extra step given the transmissibility of the virus. And then Biden was asked about whether there would be a federal employee uh, mandate on vaccines, and here was that exchange. Will you require all federal employees to get vaccinated? That's under consideration right now, but if you're not vaccinated, you're not nearly as smart as I thought you were. So Biden encouraging people to get vaccinated by telling them they're morons if they haven't. So, uh, Jim, we're not just seeing it at the federal government level. Area schools, including where you live, are saying kids are going to have to wear them and everybody else uh, come fall. So uh, what's going on with the CDC? Why the reverse skate uh, when the vaccine was supposed to be the ticket out of all this? Yeah, it's probably, you know, maybe not the worst day of the pandemic. But I think for those of us who want a sensible emergence from this pandemic that yesterday was one of the most frustrating days so far because we've been making very good progress and yeah you know the, the pace of vaccinations had slowed considerably there are you know i, I think it's safe to say that since most america every american's been eligible since about mid-april or so 
you know, if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, it's because you don't want to. It's they're available at every single drugstore. They're free. They were doing the lotteries. They were doing the mass vaccination events. You know, they're, they, the country has done everything possible to make vaccination as easy and accessible as possible. And there's a chunk of Americans who have chosen not to do it. Oh, by the way, I think it's kind of easy to forget um, that we have a lot, lots and lots of Americans who already have gotten vaccinated and uh, who have, you know, gone out and taken that opportunity. They and one of the reasons they did so was because they didn't want to you know, one you know they they wanted to be protected from the virus and they wanted to you know stop having to have social distance stop having to wear masks all that kind of stuff. Now look, the Delta variant is more contagious than previous versions of the virus. It is not more virulent, meaning it is not more dangerous. It is not more likely to kill you, as the CDC and the Biden administration and everybody else keeps emphasizing. Right now, we have a you know, pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right? If you're vaccinated, you may get infected. If you know, the va- no one ever said the vaccine will prevent the virus from getting into your body at all. What it will do is it'll prevent you from getting really, really sick. It'll prevent you from getting, needing hospitalization, and it'll prevent you from dying. Now, those are all pretty good, important stuff. The interesting question, the whole question we've had along was, does, you know, if you are vaccinated, could you still give it to other people? Now, there's conflicting evidence of this because it sounded like this decision was made based on the argument, on evidence suggesting that vaccinated people who catch the Delta variant still have a high viral load. I mean, you got a lot of virus in your system, even though it's not able to do nearly as much damage because your body is prepared to fight it off. Uh, but now there's apparently this was a leak earlier today of somebody saying, actually, no, they don't have irrefutable proof of this. Right now, that's a suspicion. That seems like you're you're putting a lot onto that assessment because a lot of people will be saying, wait a second, no, in May, you said we could all take our masks off. The Delta variant was around in May. It wasn't quite as prevalent as before now, but it's you know it was out there. What's changed? What changed from two days ago? What changed from two weeks ago? What changed from two months ago? Because really nothing with this virus has changed. And the answer is that the administration and the CDC have decided that protecting the people who are unvaccinated is so important that they want you, who's going out there and get vaccinated, we're asking you to do more to help those who will not take action to protect themselves. Now, are there people out there who can't get vaccinated? Sure, every kid under 12. And, you know, right now, much to my frustration, because I have a child under 12, uh, I'd like to, you know, get my child vaccinated, uh, my younger son vaccinated as soon as possible. Looked like it was going to be mid-fall, and now the CDC, the Food and Drug Administration is saying, well, it might be mid to late uh, winter, which is really frustrating, right? Because, you know, obviously all these kids, they get tired of wearing masks. We'd like to be able to, you know, go back to normal life for them. And, oh, by the way, if the good news is if you're under 12 and you catch COVID-19, even the Delta variant, chances are you're going to be fine. You know, some kids will get the sniffles. Some kids will get, Is there a chance of that inflammatory syndrome that freaks people out? Yes, but it's something like one out of every 100,000 people, kids will get it. And, you know, of those, most of them are capable of making a full recovery. You want to catch it. You want to treat it. I'm not saying there's nothing to worry about there. But by and large, we do not need to go to DEFCON 1 and all of our health measures because of the risk of COVID-19's Delta variant to children. Second thing is group of people who are uh, allergic to the vaccines. Again, very, very rare, but it does exist. Uh, and those folks might have to mask. And if you're around me and you say, actually, I am uh, allergic to the ingredients in the vaccines, I can't get the vaccine, would you mask up for me? My answer is sure, sure. Particularly if we're not, you know, hanging around for very long, fine. The last thing I'd want to do is put somebody at unnecessary risk. But for everybody else who's chosen to not get vaccinated, you know what? That's on you. You have made that choice. 
you have taken that choice and you have to accept the consequences of that choice. You know, all the evidence says they're putting your, you're putting yourself at higher risk, particularly if you're older, particularly if you got immunocompromised or uh, some other comorbidity factor or something like that. But you could be young and healthy and say, you know what, I still want to get vaccinated. And yeah, your chances of having a bad reaction to COVID are pretty darn small. So that's how the situation, nothing has changed from a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. But now the CDC is acting like, oh, because the Delta variant, everybody's got to put their masks on. Every kid's got to have masks on inside the school. And I can't help but get the feeling that this is heavily driven by people who, um, I don't necessarily characterize them as neurotic, uh, because I'll seem like name calling, but people who have minimal risk tolerance and who basically have decided we have to have maximum safety for every circumstance. Because remember, when the pandemic started, we all want to prevent hospitalizations and deaths. You know, 15 days to bend the curve and all that kind of stuff. The whole thing is we didn't want people dying and we didn't want people, uh, you know, flooding all the hospitals and using up all the ICU beds and all the ventilators. And there wouldn't be enough material for the rest of us so that if, God forbid, you're in a car accident or something, you wouldn't be able to get medical treatment because the hospitals were all full. Well, we're not in that situation. I went and I checked over in the Washington, D.C. But the White House went back to full masking for everybody. All right. Now, based on that, you might be like, oh, my God, you know, D.C. must be terrible. No, no. Right now, Washington, D.C. has 21 COVID-19 patients in hospitals. Six of them are in the ICU. There are 345 ICU beds total in the city. We're not in an era at a time when we're being overloaded with cases or something like that. People, most people who catch the Delta variant aren't going to have much of a reaction at all because they're vaccinated. And even the young, healthy people who are unvaccinated are probably going to be fine. It's the older folks who are... Uh, uh, or who have other health issues who are unvaccinated. Those are the folks we need to persuade. I don't think this is going to persuade them. I think the message they're going to take, a lot of people can take this, oh, wait, if I still have to wear a mask, even if I'm vaccinated, what difference does it make? What good does it do? That's what the message the CDC is saying, and I suspect it's going to backfire terribly. We're already in a pretty divisive society here, Jim, and I think this is going to uh, make it even more of a powder keg because, as you mentioned, the smart thing to do would be to say, you know, if uh, you haven't gotten the vaccine yet, that's your choice. That's your right. But, uh, you know, the rest of the world's not going to uh, take that many precautions anymore because they've already taken their precautions. I-, I feel like that would be a far less incendiary thing to do than tell a bunch of people who did what you told them to do, that you have to do this all over again because these people didn't do what we said to do. And so then it's just going to be a-, a giant game of finger pointing. And perhaps that's what they want. But who knows? Well, I would say, Greg, the situation really has become very much, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, I want people to go out and get vaccinated. If you're getting your health advice from Jim Garrity, God help you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, by and large, yes, you should go out and get vaccinated. But if you have questions about it, go talk to your doctor about it. Um, you know, I can point you to all the studies. I can point you to the low rates of reaction. I, you know, maybe you've heard horror stories of people who had a strong reaction. I had some vertigo after the first shot. Yeah, you know, that stinks, but I'd still take that over COVID-19. And I hope people feel that way. But if you don't, fine. You decide to make a choice. That's your choice. I don't control you. But I also don't expect, like, I'm not in charge of you. But that means I also am not responsible for you. You're responsible for you. And I, I, this, this, this whole mentality is that at some point we can make people do something by some sort of, you know, maximizing pressure campaign or, or something like that. Um, I've been hearing some people talk about, you know, no, this is the time to mandate that, like, the government should require you to do it. And there's two things. First is... Um, if you know, I, I, we don't want to put vaccines into people into the bodies of people who don't want them. 
if you can't conceive of how badly that could go, <laughs> if you cannot imagine how much the resistance could be and the door that you are opening by deciding that the government can put drugs into you that you don't want, then I think you're, you're clearly every last civil libertarian instinct in you has, uh, has, has long since eroded. But the second thing, look, I'm, you know, I'm fine with the, you know, the, I got two Pfizer shots. I'm fine with it. You want to give me a third one, a booster? Fine. If we're up to me, every office in America would, you know, we're usually having a bowl of mints or candies in the front desk. There'd be a big bowl of needles, and everybody just inject themselves all the time. Just give me, give me more vaccines. I love them; they're great. But it does seem a little bit odd that the Food and Drug Administration has not given what's called the BLA, which is basically their final good housekeeping seal of approval, to the three vaccines they've given emergency use applications for the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Now, I have no doubt that all three of these va vaccines are safe, but it does seem kind of weird that they're on emergency use, and they've been on emergency use for a while, and the best guess, if Pfizer's applied for it, and the best guess of the FDA is that maybe they'll get the BLA approval, and eh, maybe by the end of the year. Now, Greg, it's a good chance that by the end of the year, we'll have like more than 200 million Americans will be fully vaccinated. And if, you, if you're going to put people in a situation where if you refuse to get the vaccine, you can be fired. You can no longer work here at the Department of Veterans Affairs or State of California or any of these other places, CNN, Washington Post, that if you don't get vaccinated, you can't work here. Well, doesn't it seem reasonable to expect that if you're going to put that kind of requirement on people that the vaccine would be <clears throat> fully approved by the FDA? and not on this emergency use thing. Again, I think the thing's totally safe. I just don't know what the FDA is doing over there. Because, oh, well, we're reviewing the medical data. Well, the medical data is all around us, right? Look out your window, and you can see a whole bunch of people who are vaccinated. They're not killing over in the street. They're not growing a third eyeball, right? What are you looking for in this data that you haven't found, that you haven't seen, you haven't seen enough of yet? Because the other thing is also, what are you looking for? What do you expect to find? And is there anything in there that make you say, oh, wait, no, this isn't a good vaccine? <laughs> is there anything in there that makes you say, oh, no, because I got to tell you, I and like 188 million Americans, we already got it in us. It's not like we can suck it out again, right? This is, you know, this is done. Your, your chance to say, oh, no, this is not a good vaccine, don't do this. That was back in, you know, late last fall and early December. That's when the FDA had the opportunity to say, after this. So it just seems utterly bizarre that final approval of this drug could happen, if not when the entire pandemic's over than after it's in the arms of 200 million Americans. None of this makes sense. It screams all the flaws of the federal bureaucracy. And uh, I just wish the weed agency had not been quite so prophetic. <laughs> well, some people love power. There's no question about that. But uh, for those who are on the mandate kick, and there's plenty of people on social media who are, you might want to look at the demographics of uh, who's not getting the vaccine, particularly in uh, high population areas. Because it's not who you think. It's not the red hat people necessarily, although it could be some some of those. But it's uh, largely black and Hispanic people. That's not going to be a very good policy. Indeed, right. There are a lot of people who are really comfortable feeling angry at this, you know, prototypical Trump voting rural white American. And, and you know, I don't like that person. I don't like who they voted for. They, they, they really enjoy it. And yes, by by sheer percentages of who's vaccinated. You're going to find more of those in those Republican-leaning in rural counties. But in sheer numbers, I may have mentioned, it's like more than 4 million people in Los Angeles County who aren't vaccinated right now. There just aren't that many Trump voters in Los Angeles County. So a whole bunch of these people are apolitical or Biden voters who don't fit this, uh, this category there. So anyway, on that, uh, on that I, 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 you know, I'm at a point where, like, uh, I, I think the FDA is just mailing it in. 
<laughs> they are. They are. And uh, since it's the government, they're probably not using stamps.com and uh, because that would be so much easier than uh, mailing it in and it would save them a whole lot of money. But, um, you know. Most people are ready to get back to normal, if, even if the government won't let them right now. <laughs> but uh, what doesn't need to be normal anymore is going to the post office. Because with Stamps.com, you can skip the trips to the post office and save on postage. You can mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer, letters, packages, whatever. Pay less, a lot less, with discounted rates from the U.S. Postal Service and UPS. Stamps.com saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every single year. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving nearly one million small business owners like you time and money. They offer deals that you just can't get anywhere else, like up to 40% off of the U.S. Postal Service and up to 66% off of UPS shipping rates. And with their switch and save feature, you can quickly compare carriers to find the best rates every time. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. There's literally no risk. And that's not a Joe Biden literally. Literally no risk. And with our promo code 3Martini, all spelled out, all one word, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. That's stamps.com, promo code 3Martini, and save, save, save. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Well, speaking of Joe Biden, Jim, as we head to our crazy martini here, he was supposed to be the uh, middle-of-the-road Democratic candidate compared to Bernie Sanders and Beto and Elizabeth Warren. He's supposed to be the reasonable one. He's not one of those crazy people that wants to tax you to death and go with the the radical fringe. Well, guess what he's doing? He's nominating some people who are pretty much uh, affiliated with the radical fringe. This is from the Free Beacon. President Joe Biden's nominee for U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts is a progressive district attorney who opposes the prosecution of drug dealers, not just users, dealers, and has worked closely with a group that supports defunding police departments. Biden on Monday nominated Rachel Rollins, the district attorney for Suffolk County, to lead the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston. Rollins is a member of the new wave of progressive prosecutors pushing a radical criminal justice reform agenda in their cities. Rollins critics called her, quote, the grand dame of the rogue prosecutor movement when it comes to her non-prosecution practices. Back to the story, the nomination comes as Biden attempts to downplay allegations the Democrats are soft on crime and that they support the movement to defund police departments. While numerous Democratic lawmakers support the defund cause, Biden accused Republicans last week of lying about Democratic support for the issue. Uh, Last year, Rollins partnered with two other Soros-backed district attorneys to form the Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation Commission, which was modeled after South African tribunals. And they've also, uh, Rollins has also collaborated with Sean King, who uh, you might know as uh, the white guy who says that he's black uh, and that's very, very radical. Malcolm Uh, X. (laughs) Malcolm X, exactly. Uh, And it's very, very left on uh, criminal justice issues and and many other things. So, uh, Jim, the guy who was, uh, you know, the return to normalcy, not too normal here when you're nominating people who refuse to prosecute criminals. Uh, So it was way back. I actually looked this up because I knew we were going to talk about this. It was back in 1980s presidential transition, the dawn of the Ronald Reagan presidency. And Reagan's director of personnel, Scott Faulkner, once said, personnel is policy, right? The conservatives were complaining 
uh, about this, that he was focusing too much on personnel and not getting their legislative stuff done. The point is that personnel is policy. There are so many decisions that are reached by the government that don't happen through the legislative process and that generally don't generate big headlines. That in fact, like this, this is where actually really important consequences are. And that if you can get a rock ribbed, you know, genuine conservative activist into one of these positions, you can do a lot of good, even if it isn't necessarily, you know, you, you see this register, you see this in all kinds of obscure decisions and, and regulations and things that federal agencies do that you're not necessarily going to see, uh, you know, it is like a big legislative battle like we're seeing over infrastructure or something like that. Personnel is policy. And the second thing is that because there are so many important positions that a president needs to appoint to, I mean, Department of Justice comes to mind and all the U.S. attorneys, but, you know, everybody from ambassadors to, uh, you know, just, just every part of the government and, you know, all kinds of agencies you don't really think too much about, like National Park Service and Department of the Interior and things like that. Um, all of this stuff adds up and really kind of creates what a presidency can do. And one of the things you kind of think about is that even if a candidate says, oh, I'm this way, I'm on this side of the spectrum, somewhere in those 4,000 appointments, if they do fill all of those positions, they're going to end up making some folks who are probably of a different variation of, of the flavors within that party. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. But the other thing that I'm left with, Greg, is you describe a prosecutor who has a non-prosecution philosophy towards a whole bunch of these crimes like drug dealing, I'm reminded of the film Office Space and the two consultants who come in and ask, so just what is it you'd say you do here? <laughs> and I'd really love that the, a prosecutor who doesn't believe in prosecutions to face those consultants to say, okay, so what do you do if you're a prosecutor and you don't want to put people in jail? Jim, it's been a pretty wild day here on the Three Martini Lunch. Rest up. We'll do it again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Please tell your friends about us as well. Always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday. And please join us again Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.